The scripture reading today is Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. It's on page 976 in your pew Bible. Let, let us pray for illumination. Almighty and gracious Father, since our whole salvation standeth in our knowledge of the Holy Word, strengthen us now by the Holy Spirit that our hearts may be set free from all worldly thoughts and attachments of the flesh, so that we may hear and receive the same word, and recognizing thy gracious will for us, may love and serve thee with earnest delight, praising and glorifying thee in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We're in this passage in Ephesians where Paul is listing one blessing after another. Uh, we're just being overwhelmed uh, with God's blessings, and uh, he's praising God for them. And we, we talked about last week how all of these are for those who are in Christ, who are united with him in faith. And um, this morning we see that in him we have redemption through his blood and a revelation of that redemption and, and the way it applies um, to God's ultimate plan for his creation. So we're, we're just going to un unpack this. We're going um, slowly through just a, a few verses at a time, but these are such big things uh, that they deserve unpacking and, and seeing the fullness of, of what's going on here and that is, uh, first off, redemption, uh, that we have been redeemed. And that's a, a word probably not used terribly often. Um, maybe you see it written on a coupon every once in a while, uh, but that's about it. But, but in the ancient world, it would have had a, a definite meaning of um, folks who, had there been a battle and someone taken into um, um, you know, custody, they would have been ransomed off. And so if um, someone was taken, they would be redeemed. Someone would pay a price and bring that person back out of um, that. Or um, in a time where they, they didn't have bankruptcy laws. And, and oftentimes um, in, in the ancient world, they had the institution of slavery. It was um, it kind of selling yourself when there was no other way to pay off a debt. And the, if that was to take place, if, if you had a, a bad year of getting crops and you had no way else to provide, you would sell yourself into slavery. But if that was to happen, um, if you had someone who uh, wanted to, they could come buy you back. They could pay that price and redeem you, free you out of that bondage, free you out of that slavery by paying a price. So that's what God is doing for us in Jesus Christ. 
we who are in bondage to sin and, sl- and um, slaves to sin and guilt, he brings us out of that bondage. He frees us from that slavery by paying the cost of his own blood. We have redemption through his blood. And so he has now freed us. He's redeemed us. And he wants us to understand what that means. That metaphor means is it's the forgiveness of our trespasses. That, that is the forgiveness. That is the redemption we have is that through our sin, through our trespasses, through doing the things against God's law, we were made slaves to sin. We were in bondage. And so now we have been freed because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And um, just just want to note there, because there's, there's always a temptation in the church to make what Jesus did on the cross something other than about reconciling us to God. There's always a temptation to take Jesus's purpose and his mission and alter it and make it about something else. Um, whether about making this life better uh, individually or making this life better uh, kind of in a, a revolutionary political change or a systematic change or something. And there's certainly entailments of the gospel and, and the biblical ethics, but on the cross, Jesus died so that we can be forgiven. So the things that I have done that have broken my relationship with him and, and with others can now be paid for, set apart, and I am now free. You have been redeemed. You are now free and out of that bondage. But what I want to focus on is Paul is wanting us to know how amazingly lavish, how overabundant is God's grace for us. So we have redemption, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Do you ever think God is a forgiving God and it's a lot easier for him to forgive someone else, but for you, his mercy is really strained? Do you ever think the promises of the gospel make a lot of sense for most people, but when you look at the things in your life, you're thinking you're just barely getting that. I mean, the grace is barely enough to cover up what you've done. I, th- I think a lot of times we, we think, okay, the gospel promises for me are a lot harder for God than the gospel promises for somebody else. Do you, do you see what Paul is saying? No one in it here is saved by the skin of your teeth. No one who trusts in Jesus is like almost um, pulling out on the limits of what God's grace can do. God's grace is lavished on us. That means you're getting more than you could possibly use. (laughs) It is lavished on us according to his riches. Um, It's not as though God's grace is... Um, only so much. He is rich in grace. He has more grace than you can imagine. He has more grace to forgive, um, and he's more willing to forgive and more ready to forgive than you are to seek that forgiveness. His grace is over 
um, what we need. And that, that's kind of what the, this word here, uh, lavished, it's abounding, it's abundant. It's, it's not that, um, okay, I've just barely gotten enough to get through. It's I'm overflowing. It's this, the, the, the same word is the root of the Jesus' stories of, of feeding the 5,000. And you remember he fed the 5,000 miraculously with just a few uh, loaves and fish. But after they were finished, they picked up the scraps, and there were 12 baskets full of bread. Um, There was still so much that people who absolutely were starving ate as much as they possibly could, and then there were still 12 baskets left over. That miracle, when you see that, you need to see in your head, that's God's grace for me. I'm starving, I need it, and I can never use up all His grace. And by the time I've completely satisfied and have taken as much as I possibly can, they're still taking up basketful of leftovers. God's grace for you is lavished and it's more. So He is not begrudgingly redeeming you. He's not disappointed and kind of saying, okay, well, I will forgive you just, just this one more time. His grace to you is abounding he died for sinners, and his mercy, we, we, we've been singing a new song, our sins are many, his mercy is more. His grace is overwhelming. And yet, um, this grace is according to his wisdom and his insight. In all wisdom and insight, he's lavished it upon us. His, according to his riches, um, it's given to us. There was um, maybe a year, maybe a few years uh, ago, there was a little bit of controversy over a, a new song that was out, Reckless Love. God's love is not reckless. God, there, there's, you know, part of that song was really good about how overwhelming and amazing God's love, but God's love is not reckless. God's love is not out of control. God's love and God's grace and God's mercy is according to his wisdom and his knowledge and insight. So he's not going to be caught off guard. He's not going to go, oops, I made a mistake on this one. He's not going to restrain himself, his love, and all he is doing is orderly and determined and set with an intentionality and a wisdom and with a reason that now he has made known to us. And all of God's wisdom and insight, which will be given to us, he prays for that wisdom and insight for something for us to have um, later in this, but he, he has lavished this, and part of that grace is not only the redemption, but he's making known to us the mystery of his will. And so he, he, he's letting us in on his plan. Uh, mystery is not kind of a Scooby-Doo whodunit. Mystery is that he has a plan from the beginning that's been hidden, and now he's kind of opening it up to display it. And God's wisdom and his purpose and intentionality, it's kind of like you're watching a movie and you're really confused, and then something happens, and it's like, oh, yeah, it all makes sense. It's all coming together. You know, it's, it's, that's what God's... Um, wisdom and mystery being shown to us is. And, and part of the, the blessing we have is he's telling us what is going on. He's re- revealing it to us. And, and so we can have confidence of what he's doing in our life because he's, he's showing us what he's doing. Um, let me just say there, there's, there's kind of a, a, a temptation to say, um, 
um, kind of a, a type of humility that says, you know, of course I could be wrong on all this, the Bible says. Or of course I could be wrong. Or, or maybe there's kind of a humility of those who say, yeah, maybe there's a God or not, but I don't see how we could even know. Well, that's not humble if we see that he's telling us he's here and who he is and what he's doing. If God has revealed the mystery to us, it's not humility to say, I'm going to receive what God has told us. I'm going to listen to God's word. I'm going to trust God's word. He's spoken and he's showing us the mystery. He's revealing his plan to us. And, and so there's, there's not an arrogance to say, the Bible is clear. God saves sinners. God redeems us. God in Jesus Christ is reconciling the world to himself. That, that's not arrogance to say this is, we, we get the plan. He's shown it to us. It's one of the great blessings is to understand what he's doing. And, and the mystery is unveiled. Um, and so what we, we, I don't know, Clifton might have to help me out if I get into trouble on this because I, I, I've, I, there, there, there used to be kind of this computer thing of its, uh, um, this Mendelbrot set. Does that sound at all familiar? The Mendelbrot set where, I don't know if you've seen this, it's like this pattern. It's, it looks like some kind of tie-dye t-shirt. But the more you zoom in on it, it develops more and more patterns. And you can zoom on on a little corner of that and it becomes more and more. It's infinite patterns down that are just amazing. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen that sort of thing where um, the, this, uh, the further in you go, you just get deeper and deeper into a more beautiful pattern and you never exhaust it because it's infinite. And the, the scripture, God's mystery is more and more like that. The more and more you know Jesus and know what he's doing, you read the scripture and a simple Bible story you remember from Sunday school suddenly becomes profoundly deep as you see that it's a story of what God is doing. That mystery is being unveiled. And so we read the fall and suddenly we see Jesus and understand, oh, the seed of the woman. That makes sense now. We, we read the story and we, we hear of Passover and we get to Jesus and we say, oh, the Passover is pointing to the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. We, we hear of, of David and God's covenant and promise to be a king who will reign forever. And we see the king who comes to us in Jesus. We, we hear the story of the temple and the, the priesthood. And more and more, it shows to us the picture as we get into details of what this temple looks like, how it points to Jesus and the presence of God with us in Christ. And we hear the prophets and we see that they talk about a new covenant. And we come to this table and we celebrate the new covenant that's given to us. We look at Isaiah and how he talks about the one who is going to bear our transgressions, who's going to suffer for our iniquity. And we see deeper and deeper this mystery being unpacked in Christ Jesus. But it's not only our redemption... It's not only that he is doing something to save us as individuals, but it is according to his purpose, verse 9, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So there, there's our lives being redeemed, but we're part of something greater that God is doing. And what he's doing... Um, this translation, the unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That, that word is um, a difficult word. 
Um, it doesn't appear very often. It, it, it kind of, it's almost the, the word we would have, recapitulation. Um, it's the idea of, of bringing things together under a head. It, it would be the word, like if you made a speech and, and you're getting to the end of it, and somebody says, and in summary, that would be the word. You're summarizing everything, bringing the heads, the points back in order. And so the idea is that all things in creation, heaven and earth, are being brought together and united, but they're being united under the headship of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he's taking all these things that kind of don't make sense and bringing them back into an order to make sense and give meaning to them. And so we look around in this creation and and things just don't make sense. Things just seem just, just random. Just there, there's kind of this over here and that, that over here, but this is saying he's bringing all of this, everything in heaven and earth, back under the headship of Jesus Christ, giving it a meaning and a purpose. And we are doing, we are part of this as he's doing it in heaven and earth. And so it follows the story, the mystery that is proclaimed. God created Adam and Eve to be over creation, to be head over heaven and earth, to have dominion over creation. And through the fall, we lost that, but not only were we impaired because of our sin, but the Bible says that the ground was cursed because of Adam. That in some way, all of the cosmos is out of joint because of our sin. Our corruption has led, being the ones who were supposed to be over all things, has brought a curse in on all creation. That's why in Romans 8, Paul tells us that all creation, not just people, all creation is groaning for this restoration. And this is the hope of the gospel is not just our forgiveness, not just our redemption, but he is going to bring all things together in their right place under the headship of the new Adam, Jesus Christ. So rather than the old Adam who it felt, it's going to come and it's going to take place and it's going to be under him, uniting heaven and earth under the headship of Christ. That is the purpose. And so we, we look around in a world that just seems fragmented and broken and as though there's no sense and no purpose to it. And I, I think one of the things so many people are dealing with is they sense that there's no purpose, that there's no meaning. If you deny that there's a God, if you don't believe anything was created with an intent, that things are just here because it randomly happened, of course there's no meaning to that. Of course there's no purpose. But if if there is a purpose, if there's an intention, what we see is this, this hopelessness, this meaningless, this lack of purpose that people have it finds itself in Christ. And, and the big lie that the world tells everybody is you make your own intent. You make your own purpose. It doesn't care what, matter what anything happened to you or who you are. It doesn't matter your biology or anything. You create yourself. You make yourself. You form your own meaning. You make your own reality. And it's the same lie that was told to us in the garden when the serpent said, you shall be as God. You'll make your own reality. You create your own self. You be who you want to be. And in our heart of hearts, we know that we never live up to that because 
any intent and purpose and meaning has to come from something greater than all creation. And it does. And here is our hope that the God who made all things in Jesus Christ is reconciling a people to himself and is restoring creation to what he intended to be. He is bringing heaven and earth together under the headship of Christ. He does this, and as heaven and earth are united in Jesus, he is incarnate, he is God and man. As he is uniting heaven and earth, as he reconciles us back to heaven in the crucifixion, bringing us back to the God we turned from, and he is working to restore all things as his kingdom is coming, and he will do what he is called to do. And I think the mystery of this that we talked about is woven deep into our hearts. We get a sense of it when we see meaning and purpose and we see patterns. We see the way things work. And we see this rhythm of night and day, of, of, of life and families of, of, of men and women and the things God calls us to do. And we, we recognize it in the stories we tell. I think we kind of get a glimpse of the idea of all creation is pointing to Jesus. If you think about the way stories that you love, the stories that we tell over and over again, they resonate with us. They point to Jesus because all creation is coming under his headship. So Superman... Strange visitor from another planet, not a coincidence. King Arthur and Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings, the hidden king that is not revealed until it is time. Sounds just like a Jesus who is not recognized as the son of David that he is. Sleeping beauty, the way true love can resurrect from the dead. Maybe Calvinists would say consent is not an issue. Beauty and the beast. Isn't that the story of the one who loves the unlovable beast and transforms him into something lovable. Isn't that Jesus' story for you? That I who was unlovable, the beast was, by love, made something beautiful? We see it over and over again. Anytime you see a story where someone makes a sacrifice and out of their love redeems another, the best stories don't they point to Jesus? It's a glimpse that all of this has meaning. It all has a purpose. And the great thing is, as he is uniting things and as he is restoring what he plans to do, this great mystery, you're in on it. You're part of it. Your life has meaning and purpose. Your family is part of the work of redemption that God is doing to call to himself a people and unite all things. That your, your work and your job and your life and what you suffer and what you endure participates in this and everything takes part in his recapitulation, his uniting heaven and earth under his headship. There is meaning in this purpose. And Christian, take hope. As you see a life that is, seems disordered, as you watch just the, the insanity on the news, as you see history and you wonder if things are making any sense, or if, or if you just look at, you know, as we look at our own lives and, and see what appears to be chaos and I seem to be make progress and I'm two steps back and is God really doing something with me? He is. This, the best example I can think of is when I'm going to clean a closet, what I have to do is take everything out and if you walk in while I'm working on cleaning this closet, 
you think I've made everything worse. Because when the door is shut, you don't see the mess. But as I bring everything out, I usually do it when Robin's away so she doesn't come in and see the incredible mess. Because it's like, what are you doing? But when you get everything back and it's in its place, I think about the world being almost like that. There's a sense in which as things are being put to place and making sense and coming into order, all of it looks like complete chaos to somebody just watching. But according to his incredible wisdom and insight and his grace, he is forming this mess of our life and this mess of creation into a restored and beautiful and orderly and gracious kingdom that is to come when heaven and earth will be fully united as he is one with us. Let us pray.